Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and I am here with two absolutely wonderful people that I'm so grateful to have on the podcast with me today. So I'm super excited to have Sonia and Dakota Staples from Staples and Pence, Black People Off-Road, and also the new Gathering Outdoor Event Series, uh, which I'm super excited to attend here in the next month. So we've got some stuff coming on. So thank you guys so much, so much for being on the podcast. Tell me how you got from Atlanta, Georgia to Mexico City to now Prescott here today. Well, it was a dark and stormy night. (laughs) And a special thanks to Moon Fabrications for supporting this week's podcast. Moonshade by Moon Fabrications is the portable vehicle awning you've been waiting for. Moonshade is built to last, simple to set up, and chips with everything you need to mount the Moonshade to most vehicle styles without a drill right out of the box. With over 60 square feet of shade coverage and multiple setup configurations, Moonshade is the ideal choice for rigs of all sizes. Moonshade only weighs 8 pounds and shrinks down to the size of a yoga mat so you can pack more more of what you need out on the trail. Visit moonfab.com. That's M-O-O-N-F-A-B.com to place your order today. For the worst summer sun, treat yourself to the best. Moonshade has you covered. Thanks, Moonshade. So earlier this year, we um, pulled out of Atlanta. That was May. Okay. Yeah. So we headed down to Cancun because our niece was getting married. Uh, her name is Kashana and Trey. Hey. Yeah, we love them so dearly. They're really big supporters of us. We were going down for the wedding and we had this great idea. Why don't we just drive? That's yeah, so cool, though. We recently transitioned to full-time overlanding. And when they announced that they were getting married in Cancun, we were like, oh, I guess we'll drive. Yeah. So that ended up being our maiden voyage for taking this trip and our meeting voyage being that we had just outfitted our 2016 Toyota Land Cruiser 200 series, which we belovedly called Dot. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, we it. named, it's just named after my grandmother. Oh, Because it's cool so strong that? and resilient. She'll, my grandmother, go. she'll be 100 in December. That's incredible. Yeah. I hope to be as strong as Dot. Same. That's, that's <laughs> but so, yeah, the, so you guys decided to go down to drive to the wedding. How cool mm-hmm. is that? Yeah. So the trip took us from Atlanta all along the Gulf Coast into Cancun. We probably went as far in the Yucatan as Tulum, yep. stayed in Bacalar for a few days, and then we headed up north to Mexico City. I think is when you found out about our Mexico trip. I did. From Mexico I did. City, we... Flew to Denver to OR. Yeah. Um, yeah. Outdoor retailer. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And once we came back, we made our way to the coast, to Acapulco, and then slowly snaked our way up the Western coast. And you guys had to be on a little bit of a quicker timeline to get down to the wedding because you were just coming back from another amazing journey in Africa, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. For those that are listening, that is just setting the stage for the incredible things that these two have done. And it's so inspiring to see their travels. But I would love to hear more about how you guys got from starting your careers. I'd love to hear more about the careers that you guys have had and what brought you to that point of saying, we're not going to do this day-to-day professional work. We're going to transition into being a full-time overlander like you just described, because that's so inspiring and people need to hear about what does it take to make that transition? I am now a retired engineer out of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. I served for about 20 years there. Before then, I was in the Air Force uh, for six years as a PML Precision Maintenance Equipment Laboratory Specialist. We focused on electronic technician stuff as well as uh, calibrations. Yeah. Yeah, we both have that 
that history of being in the Air Force together. So that's cool. Yeah, thank you. Well, for we your use, and we use the same barber. <laughs> Bick. Y'all have so much in common. <laughs> we do. Yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty funny. Blue jacket. <laughs> so you were in the Air Force and then you started a 20 year career in the nuclear regulatory systems. Is that something that you were also involved with, Sonia? Or what, what was your, your career track? So no, I was almost employed at Nuclear Regulatory Commission, but the Atlanta office decided that both of us being in the same office was wasn't a good idea. And they probably knew then way better than we knew that we didn't need to work together, yeah, live together sure. and work together. We weren't ready then. Right. I gotcha. After I graduated from A&T, Nakota and I, we both went to North Carolina A&T. We were physics majors. We met in college for my freshman year, his junior year. But after I graduated, moved to Atlanta with Nakota and started working for Lockheed Martin. So I worked in quality engineering for 15 years there. Kind of got tired of that job and transitioned to another position doing quality engineering. 2020, my sister recently passed away and we had taken our cross-country trip for the year to California. We were sitting on cliff in California. I was super stressed because I was way over my head with work and we had all, we were supposed to be enjoying ourselves, you know, in this beautiful experience. And we couldn't. I was like, Nicole, I can't do this anymore. Can we just create a plan to focus on Staples and Tents? Because we had already created it. It was more of a hobby. That day on the side of the cliff, I resigned from my job and really went in and focused full time on growing our passion. You were literally standing at the precipice. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. And Sonia, how much did you find that that loss of your sister impacted you being able to make that decision? You know, I think my sister and my mother, who both passed away, yeah. they were always big supporters of me and me being happy, you know? And I think in that moment, I wasn't happy, like, about anything. But yeah, they just really wanted me to be happy. In my mother's last days, as well as my sister's last days, they really focused on my happiness. And because of that, and I wasn't happy, it was a really easy decision for me to make. And having Nakota support was... Sure. Made it even better. Maybe it was that lesson of they've passed the torch to you for you to... Make myself happy. Make those decisions, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I found recently with my own mother's passing is that you start to really be aware of how short life is. We have little insights Mm -hmm. as we go through life, but then there are times that we get a very clear message that we only have so much time. Shortly after that, after me resigning from my job, Nakota and I, we made the decision that we were going to go full-time overlanding because life is short. Right. You know, and Nakota, it also his family that he can talk about, but his nephew passed away in 2020. His mother had breast cancer. His father, you know, had so many back surgeries to the point where now he's not even walking. There was just so much tragedy that was taking place that was taking place during that time. And it's like, you know, you only have one opportunity to live. So why not take it? Well, and when I look at you two as well, you guys are hyper competent individuals. So you guys have these rich degrees and professional experience that you've had. If you've got to go back to doing that, you can do that. Right. You guys have all of this experience. You've told me how many times that your employer tried to get you to come back. That maybe gives some confidence too to say, you know what, we're going to really give this a shot. And to come into something like Staples and Tents and Black People Off-Road and The Gathering with all of this professional experience, I mean, it sets you guys up to be really successful entrepreneurs too, because you kind of already know how to make stuff big things happen. We're learning, you know, <laughs> it's, it's very much like the entire experience. When we first started, we had very little knowledge about camping. When we first brought our 1997 Toyota 
Land Cruiser, Frank the Tank. Um, within the first week of us taking it out, we crushed the front fender, <laughs> got it stuck in some serious mud. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we had learned how to start off-roading. <laughs> and overlanding was pretty much the same way. Our first time across country, we broke down probably 10 times yeah. and because we had just modded out the truck and had did any kind of runs on it. So sure. we had things that you learn as you start overlanding, you do not run your truck when you just did the new You got to shake it down first. You got to do the shakedown. <laughs> So, yeah, we learned we learned as we went and we learned all the mistakes the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there. I'm in that I'm in that club too. Yeah. It's so funny. I have to remind people about how many times I have been stuck in my life, which is a lot. You guys have shared with me a really important story about how you guys decided to start to go outdoors. How you guys decided to start camping even. Yeah, because we were and I think in a lot of regards still are city people. Before we transitioned to full-time overlanding, we lived in the middle of Atlanta. Nakota always jokes, if you look at a map where the star is in Atlanta, that's where we live. <laughs> right by Centennial Park. Yeah. We'll, 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 tell you, we'll tell you where to park. <laughs> right. But yeah, we were city people and we did city things. Art galleries, museums, hanging out at lounges. So outdoors was not our thing, but we had been struggling in our marriage and started doing some really intense marriage counseling. It was kind of working, but we were still struggling. After a couple of years, she gave us the advice to say yes to each other. She was like, you guys are sitting across from me on this couch saying the exact same thing in different ways. You just need to focus on saying yes to each other. So for 30, 60, 90, however many days she said, she was like, just try it. Try saying yes to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, That's it was great, some great pretty advice. quick lessons learned, you know, right then and there. We didn't know. Um, I think at that time we'd been married just under, just around 10 years. And I'm sure it was more than that, but okay. We were, well, 12, <laughs> might've been around 12 years. Yeah, the 12 year age maybe? Oh yeah, definitely. That's what uh, they call it. Midlife crisis car <laughs> yeah. had all of it. <laughs> it was like, he did. It was like measles, chicken pox, and poison oak all at the same time. Sure. But in that moment, I hadn't realized just how much I had been saying no to my wife from the day that we met. And it started with just, you know, just my preferences in life, but they were taken away from things that she had enjoyed. And I wasn't open to receiving what it was that she enjoyed in life. So when this concept of saying yes to each other was presented to us, it seemed sort of like an obvious duh, but it really wasn't. Mm -mm. And it took some time really for us to get to that point where we recognized how much we were saying no. Sonia asked for me to go camping with her again city guy doing the city life. I had my boys, we were hanging out, you know, going to bars, art galleries, me and her, theaters, <laughs> right? Movies, all of the things that you do in a city to say that you enjoy the life. You know, my wife is asking me to go camping. What are you saying here? What are we doing? Reluctantly, I said yes. And it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> it really was. That, that time it really was. <laughs> I mean, we didn't even camp in the Air Force. Like I never right. camped in the Air Force. <laughs> why, would, why would we do that? It's a perfectly good dorm. Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And when most people think of camping, you think roughing it like laying on a hard ground and I'm like no Nicole it won't be like that we're gonna have a nice little comfy setup it's gonna be great but we got out there it really was dark so we drove to um, Wadmala South Carolina just outside of South Carolina just outside of Charleston, Charleston excuse me just outside and of it was raining when we showed up just not what we expected not what we pictured it was muddy Nakota is driving his new for him white 650 Grand Coupe oh, I love that in the mud that's a beautiful car it was so plush and he was like 
like, why do we have to take my car? I was like, because my car is smaller than yours. <laughs> so, I had a Z4. So, yeah. We you needed space. Yeah, yeah, we needed a little space. So, it only makes sense to drive his car. But he wasn't happy about it. And that set the tone yeah. for the trip. Yeah. And I stayed in my feelings that first night. Just really unhappy with being there. Not really understanding why I was even saying yes to it. Mm-hmm. Here I am out in the middle of the woods. I really don't know how to camp. What are we doing? You know, so and why? And why? Yeah, why are we even doing this? So I was really trying to figure out an exit strategy, not just from the camp where we were camping at our friend's house, but from our marriage. You know, you really start feeding yourself with any and every negative thing that you can to justify a position that you hold in your heart. Next morning, we get up, I'm still in my feelings about this thing. Sonia pulls me to the side and she says, look, you can't do anything about the fact that it was cold, windy, rainy, muddy when we came out here. Right. You can't do anything about that, but you can choose to be happy in this You can moment. choose to live in this moment and try to make the best of it. Right. It hit me like a, like Mike Tyson punching you in the jaw. Right. Pow. Yeah. I go around the corner. Great, great piece of advice. Right. So I had to go around the corner, gather myself, gather my feelings and really ask myself what it is that I'm doing with my life that I am choosing not to be happy. Came back with the Snickers bar. Brand new guy. Ended up falling in love with camping that weekend um, because of just the fun. We were just having so much fun. And it was, I think, a lot because I changed my attitude and was open and receptive to what was happening in that moment. And it made all the difference. It does seem that from my perspective, that the only thing that we have control in of in our life at all is our reaction to things. Absolutely. Like we can save money for a rainy day, but we don't even have control over that. The dollar can crash. We can work really hard to be in our careers and feel like we have some security in our job, even owning our own business, but that can change in a moment. Our health can change in a moment. So you're right. The only thing, Sonia, that we do have control over is how we respond to all of that happens in life, the mud. And maybe in some ways that first night of camping was a reflection of where your relationship was. It was Absolutely. A, it was a dark and stormy. It was a dark and stormy place in our relationship. <laughs> yeah. And waking up the next day and finding a way to be present for each other and change your attitude. I mean, at that camping trip, we borrowed camp gear from my friend and we were in this BMW, you know, but on yeah. the way back, we both decided that we liked it. It was something that we wanted to do. Nakota wanted to go all the way in. He was like, I want to camp. I want to camp all the time and I need my own truck. And I'm like, pump your brakes, dude. <laughs> Just pump your brakes. But we did buy our own tent off Craigslist in the car that day. We camped like every four to six weeks. And then August of that year, that was that was April. Not long after we we did buy the truck because we saw that we were committed to it. And what a what an amazing first choice. I'm going to buy an 80 series Land Cruiser like for everybody on this podcast that's listening. They're like, yes, <laughs> like to like. Yeah. I mean, talk about knowing which one to buy first. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, It was a little bit of homework, but I did get the one with the e-locker, yeah, uh, yeah. which is the most coveted. So um, I was happy and thrilled um, when it fell in my lap. But that's yeah, really sure. all it was. You know, I've been looking for months to looking at every Every type of vehicle, why the people were choosing it and just what people were saying about them on forums. And I only had about $6,000 budget at the time. Right. I was like, look, was like, <laughs> you can buy something. But this is it. Yeah. So, you know, imagine. You just bought the midlife crisis car. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's <Okay>. not forget. <laughs> <laughs> and we only had two car spots, you know, uh, sure. in our condo. So it was yeah, like, we, sure. we didn't even, I had to rent a parking spot from across the street to park the truck. But it was the right decision. I'm so glad we got it. Yeah. And do you still have the truck? Of we course. do. It's at a yeah. friend's house right now. So cool. You really cut your teeth off road with that vehicle. Mm-hmm. And when you first started driving it off road, was it stock? Yeah, it was. It had some chaos 
KO2s, some BFG uh, KO2 tires on it. Didn't even have a stock suspension on it. So whoever had owned it before, I think he, he was using it for duck hunting. So a okay. dentist owned it originally. And then the second owner was a farmer, also did some duck hunting. But that was essentially it. But after we bought it, went up into, uh, I can't remember, north of Helen, Georgia, to go along Trey this Mountain. trail. Yeah, Trey Mountain, because that was the closest place that you could off-road it. So Yeah, sure. Yeah, two weeks later, we take it out and, yep. Get uh, it stuck, wreck the fender. Crash the fender stuff. the first night. Crush the fender. I mean, just crushed it. Had to put duct tape on the signal light to hold it on. Uh-huh. And then the next day, we go out and we're going to go off-roading. And we're puddle jumping, getting more and more cocky. And then all of a sudden, there was the master, the king <laughs> mud hole of all mud holes. And it swallowed the truck. <laughs> swallowed it whole. <laughs> <laughs> it spit a tire out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had to get someone to snatch us out in a, a Grand Cherokee. He had it off-road ready kind sure, of thing, but he sure. snatched us out and he was like, you know, maybe you should go down the easy side and just go <laughs> on back to Atlanta. <laughs> that trip after we got stuck, we met another gentleman in a 80 series, you know, just chatting. And we told him it was our first time. He was like, oh, it's your first time. He was like, let me show, let me, let me give you a tour of Trey Mountain. We aired our tires down because we were like, we knew Didn't nothing about off-roading. We weren't even aired down. Yeah, yeah. We aired our tires down and he was like, don't worry, you know, I'll stay with you. I have a compressor, so I'll pump you up when we get down. Me and Dakota, first time, we're kind of creeping through before sure. we met him. But after we met him, following, we were we were different oh. people. He took the 80 series down Trey Mountain like you would imagine an 80 series going down a Trey Mountain. He showed us how capable it was. Yeah. And we were like, like what blown. a gift. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it was brutal. He was an aggressive driver, um, but we needed to understand it because we were really tiptoeing with a very capable vehicle. I think because of that, we realized that we needed to get some training and understand what we were doing. So then we went to our first Overland Expo. We went to Overland Expo East in 2016. Yeah, the same year, 2016, October. So this was August, October. We went to Overland Expo and was introduced to overlanding. And we were like, oh, shoot, this is it. I'm sorry. (laughs) But yeah, we were like, this is it because we've always loved to travel. Right. And then we had this newfound love of outdoors. Like we can combine this new love with our old love and we can see the world. Yeah, this we're it. And we're walking around Overland Expo. We're seeing all of these different vehicles, all of these different builds, motorcycles, everything is out there. And sure. it's like our mind is exploding. A toy store. Yeah. yeah right. The endless possibilities. And it was a small expo. So, yeah, and sure. we were still overwhelmed. <laughs> One of the things that's so great about those events is the quality of the training. So the fact that you can go, you know, take your own vehicle through a four wheel drive course, have someone spot you, give you instruction. It's so beneficial for that. It's one of the things that a lot of people don't know about with Overland Expo is you can buy that experience package and have all of this amazing training in a weekend. Yeah. We always recommend if you're going for the first time to get that experience package. Actually, you don't even have to go for the first time. You can go as many times as you feel comfortable because you know, you learn something every time and And there's so many different classes available and special thanks to Equipped for supporting today's podcast. More than 15 years ago, Equipped Expedition Outfitters became the first American company to import the best in breed vehicle expedition equipment from across the globe. Since their humble beginnings, they have risen to become a go-to leader within the adventure travel industry, continuing to deliver a diverse portfolio of reliable, long-lasting products backed by unparalleled customer service. From shelter solutions from EasyOn to portable fridges from National Luna to aluminum storage boxes from Alubox, their ever-growing selection of best-in-class gear increases your capability, comfort, and confidence during any adventure. Visit EquippedOne.com to gear up. 
the next question that I've got for you guys is you start doing these longer trips. What was the next step for how you got beyond your own adventures to beginning to engage with others? When did that start to happen? Honestly, it started almost immediately. By the time we had bought the 97 Land Cruiser, our family and friends were starting to ask a lot of questions because instead of us going to events that we would normally go to or spaces that we would normally be in, Sonia and I were planning camping trips and you know, they were like, all right, what? why do y'all keep going camping? We were trying to explain it to them. And they were like, I don't even believe any of the words that are coming out your face right now. So sure. you're dismissed. One day when we were out there, we were like, you know, we had been also trying to do a little bit of homework on how to camp because, you know, believe it or not, you know, we were, one of our first times we were trying to figure out how to do a fire using a flint because we've yeah, seen sure. it before kind of thing, right? And it's sure. like, that seems like it would be a useful skill to know. Yeah, right. for sure. So let's, let's go on YouTube and try to figure <laughs> it out. But in our homework and doing YouTube video reviews and stuff. We just never saw anything that anyone that looked like us. Sure. And we knew that there were a lot of barriers to black people camping, being outdoors. And we were like, why not just make a few videos? We'll share them with our family and friends and just you know, let it go from there. But when we shared it with them, they were like, well, do you mind if I share it with people? And it just sort of grew from there. Yeah, sure. So we were in that capacity pretty much from the beginning. Yeah, Staples Intense was created very early. We yeah. started camping in April. We put out our first video in like October. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it was the one that the truck, no, when we it was when, the we, truck. No, when we bought the truck. And oh then, yeah, when we purchased the truck yeah. in August, that was the first video. Yeah. It sort of started there and it seemed like when the videos were coming out, when we made our way over to Overland Expo, people there recognized some of those early videos. And I mean, we Which had was like, weird. like a thousand followers and they're like, we know you. And looking around like, you know who? And we're looking around for who they know. And like, I know that laugh. That's so, so great. We were sitting there looking at axes together at a booth and he was like, wait a second. I know y'all. Y'all say what's intense. He was like, Rashad's not going to believe this. Yeah. So it was really, really weird. Yeah. Right That's from the beginning though. that we were starting to inspire people even early on with just making the videos that sure. we were producing. Yeah. They were looking at it and sharing it with their friends and family. And they were like, I didn't even know black people did this. And whatever it is that you two have done is like super cool. So maybe I can try it. Yeah. You know, that came um, impetus for us to just le- lean into it a little bit more, try to make sure that we understood it. Because, you know, for us, we were still really trying to focus on our marriage and going out into these spaces for us was about trying to get to this happy place. How right. do we get to where we chillax, where we're enjoying hammock time? Because there was no connection with the serenity that you have when you're out in the forest, you know, the quiet or mm-hmm. the insects or the wildlife that you hear. We were completely disassociated with it because all of the noises that we ever heard were mostly tied to the city. And maybe when we went home, um, if you could get some quiet time there. And going outside, we realized one of the things living in the city, like in the middle of downtown, it's never quiet. Never quiet. There's always some type of mechanical noise. Yeah, sure. And we did not realize it until we started going camping. And it's like, oh, it's so quiet quiet out here. This is great. Uh, And now any mechanical noise is like, what is that? (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense though. You guys have totally conditioned yourself for Mm -hmm. a different experience. Yeah. yeah. Even when we were in Mexico one morning, the goal zero, the 1500 was kind of overheating and the fan was running. And we're like, what is that noise? Why is it? Because I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. There's no people around. Right. No other vehicles around. Nicole was like, who's running a generator? <laughs> but no, it was us. Yeah. It's amazing how we pick up on those mm-hmm. things. And then it gets quiet enough that you actually hear your own blood Mine. flowing through mm-hmm. your ear. Yeah. For you, it's the voices in your head that you hear? Yeah. <laughs> I hear them all the time. It's, I have to ask them often, like, what, is, 
what are, what are they saying? <laughs> Fill me in. <laughs> Fill me in. It's like, cause you're having, I can see it. I can see it in his face. We'll be in the car. I'll be like on the phone or trying to do some work or something. Nakota, cause Nakota's a driver. He'll be working. And then I'll look up and he'll be like, like, wait a second. What are you talking about? <laughs> Who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Really oh yeah. Interesting. That's, uh, we, yeah. We learn a lot about ourselves when we spend that much time alone. traveling. Yeah. Alone. Yeah. That's good. And I probably learned a lot about each other. Yeah. I mean, we definitely learn a lot about each other being in small spaces. Just like yeah. right now. This is our distance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be, you'd have a little bit more than that in the 200 series. Right. Just a little. So when you look back on these last couple trips, Sonia, what is something that you didn't know about Nakota that now you admire in him because of these travels? You know, I've known Nakota for a really long time. Yeah. Like 25 years. So I don't think it was much that I didn't know about him. Sure. What I learned is on these most recent trips is how to communicate with him better. We're always striving to work on these skills, but a lot of times I say Nakota doesn't listen. And it's really not that he doesn't listen. It's just that I'm not communicating properly, you know, so the way that he needs or the way that he needs to hear. So I think in Mexico more recently, because Mexico was a really, really hard trip for us. Our first time is full time overlanders in our own vehicle. And there were a lot of stresses, so a lot of tension in Mexico. But it really forced us to kind of take a step back and think about what we were communicating what the energy that we were giving off. Yeah. Um, because it's not just necessarily the other person. You two had learned how to say yes to each other more often. And now yes. you're figuring out how to say yes. Yes. Yeah. For you, Nakota, now that you've you've seen Sonia take the initiative that she has with all these new business opportunities for you guys and traveling, what's something that you've learned that's new about someone you spent 25 years of your life with? Um, her leadership style, her ability to really lean into supporting people who are supporting us that are bringing us help. Yep. Um, she has really takes the time to get to know them, understand who they are and bring that forward. Um, the help that they provide for us has been amazing to watch and it, it happens all the time, but the trait really does go back to how she interacts with her nieces and nephews um, and her family in general. It's yeah. almost like an extension of it, but somehow she's managed to become a serious leader in um, how she handles people. Yeah, it's, it's really remarkable. Her people skills are bar none. Thank and I've, ex- I've experienced that. I, I can see the strength of your leadership as well. You have a natural way of, of communicating with people who admire what you do and you're trying to inspire them all the way up to a business partner that you're trying to develop a relationship with financially. I've seen that. Yeah, for sure. I can see that too, Nakota. That's awesome. Isn't that the whole point of all of this is for us to grow as individuals and to learn and to be inspired and to be creative and have these experiences and then also do it together with others so we can share that. The togetherness was the, I think the thing that we had the issue with in our early camping career because Staples, well, camping was always about me and Nakota growing closer together. And we would get these messages like, oh, I want to camp with you. And it's like, but we, we weren't at that point in our outdoor journey to really let people in, you know, but now, now we're all about sharing the experience. Which is a great segue to talk about the gathering. Mm-hmm. You guys have spent this really important time together, building your skills, building your marriage. What inspired you to say, we're going to have our own event to do that, to bring everybody together? I recently resigned from my full-time job and I was like, I need to figure this thing out, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and just, you know, the more and more I thought about what we were doing virtually with our YouTube and Instagram, it was 
was really all about education and inspiration. We did have so many people to request. I want to go camping with you. I need some instruction. I don't necessarily feel comfortable. You know, I need help. But you can't take everyone out individually, you know. So it we had this idea. It was like, why not just create a big event? And we had done some smaller campouts before with like 15, 20 people. Why not create a big event to do just that, continue to provide in-person education and inspiration. So give people a safe space where they felt welcome and comfortable, you know, because if you're not comfortable, then you're not going to have a a good experience. And then throughout the weekend, host workshops to teach them basic skills, camp cooking, how to build a fire, how to recreate responsibly. And then some more advanced courses for the people who are already into the outdoors, like solar. Personal safety, um, how to bring someone out of the woods in case you get hurt. Yeah, yeah, if they're injured or hurt. And Just that was at the event you guys did last yeah, year. Yeah, that was at the first event. First aid and body care. Where was that located, the first one? Yeah, it was right outside of Atlanta in Crawfordville, Georgia. So it was close to home. Yeah, about 45 minutes east of Atlanta, oh, heading towards Augusta. Well, it makes it easier for you guys to manage that, too. Yes. Yeah, it was easier. But this year... Since we were transitioning full time, we don't necessarily have to do it in Atlanta. So we decided to throw the event to two locations. This August, the 18th through the 22nd, we'll be in Van Corum, Colorado, which is in the desert of Southwest Colorado, but it's right between Moab and Telluride. So a great location. And then in October, the 14th through 16th, we'll be in Hendersonville, North Carolina, which is right outside of Asheville. Another beautiful location, you know, right at the base of the Smoky Mountains. Tons of outdoor adventure. That's so exciting, though. I mean, and how many folks did you have at your first event? It looked like it was well attended. Yeah, the first event was about 120 people. That's awesome. And I think that just spoke to the need in the community. You know, it's not that people don't want to go outside. It's just they need a safe place to learn. Yeah. To start to feel comfortable. Yeah. And that's what we provided. So at the end of the event, I mean, we literally had people like, I don't know what your plans are, but you need to do this again or else we're going to hunt you down. (laughs) Don't make us come looking for you. (laughs) Well, and it's achieving that goal of inspiring and educating. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Hearing people's stories about them preparing to come to the gathering in Vancouver, as well as hearing about like new people who are going to rent RVs to come to the one in Andersonville. Yeah. We have people taking their first solo trip cross country this year, which is amazing because, I mean, we took ours just a few years ago. So to inspire people and provide of an avenue that they want to do that. It's just really exciting. And I am excited to be there. So I'll be at the Colorado event. So those that are listening, hope we can get this out uh, with enough time for people to start to plan to to show up. I'm excited to be there. We're going to do some classes and we're going to spend some time with, with folks and just learning their stories and talking about travel around the world. So I'm super excited to see it. Yeah, I'm super excited, especially with this event, because the programming is great. I mean, you're there, Scott. I mean, <laughs> sorry. Let, let's I'm start sorry. there. Yeah, you, you, just lost, you just lost 20 participants. But yeah, I mean, in addition, Philip Henderson, who was the leader of the Full Circle Everest movement, will be there. Um, he's a no instructor and just led the first exped- all-black expedition to Summer Everest. I saw that. Yeah, that's so that's incredible. amazing. And then we'll have Zelzen. I can't remember how to pronounce her last name, but she is the first female and first Mexican to complete the triple crown of through hikes. It's just great programming. Yeah, I can't wait. A lot that's of inspiration. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be fantastic. We'll have more information in the show note in the description on YouTube about how to get signed up for the event as well. And then also your event that you're going to have back East later in the year too. Mm -hmm. So we'll make sure people know what's going on with that. If people want to get involved with what you're doing with Black People Off-Road, how can they support? How can they learn more about what you're doing? Black People Off-Road, that that was our brainchild um, that spawned from um, an experience that took place um, maybe about what, 28, 2018, 2019? October 2019. Yeah, it was October right before 20, the election. Yeah, right before the election. Okay. Um, we had a group of some black guys, some white guys, and we all decided we were going to go um, north of Chattanooga to do some trail rides. So everybody had the rigs. It's probably about, what, seven or eight of us, seven, yeah. eight rigs. When we get to doing the trail, we get it was Prentice Cooper, amazingly beautiful country up there. But it's also a really good trail system for people to play around with, decent enough to challenge any off-roader, but not so much so that you know, you end up damaging your rig. Mm-hmm. And we don't recommend it for RAV4s or <laughs> sure. don't, don't get cocky out there. You know, it says four-wheel drive only for a reason. But um, we had gone out there that particular day. We got about halfway through the route, stopped, you know, to have a drink and just enjoy the moment of all of us being out here because it's a really cool moment. And um, the white friends that were with us asked if we had brought any guns. And we were like, no. And they were should like, we have? right. And we we're like, should we have? They were like, well, we brought a trunk full kind of thing. And we we're like, well, what's, what's the reason for this? And they shared that in some of the off-road clubs that they had been privy to that made them feel uncomfortable about our safety. And at that point we felt like, all right, if our um, white friends feel that we are not safe when we're out in these outdoor recreating spaces, then there's a different conversation that needs to take place. And we have a role in that because we are we're probably the forefront of black people that are off-roading. So when we got back, we had some really long conversations about it and was like, what can we do? What can we say? And Sonia got the sketchbook out, I believe, and started (laughs) playing around with some graphics and she created this really cool I love the t-shirt. It's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, she created this really cool logo. Black people off-road was born. And since its inception, I think I'm aware of about four different clubs that have formed, mostly Jeepers, but there's an ATL trail team, which they're also going to be at um, the Vancorum event, and I'm sure they'll be at the Asheville event as well, but they're going to be teaching a course there. Um, But they formed a group. Yeah, they're about 75 deep, I believe, maybe a little bit more. Um, There were at least two or three other clubs that formed just going out into these spaces. They're awesome to camp with. Um, They already practice the uh, leave no trace kind of behavior. So just really good that we started to um, change the narrative with what was taking place outdoors. And for us, it was like, can we create positive images of people outdoors recreating because we need to see each other to know that we can also go out and feel comfortable in these same spaces. Yeah. So Black People Off-Road was really created as a community to provide some visibility for other Black and Brown people who enjoy getting out. And it really is meant to be a beacon of light and positive energy. Yeah. You know, thank you for rocking your Black People Off-Road show because it's not just for Black people. It's a symbol of safety and security and that you're welcome. So anyone that wants to support the movement, feel free to go to Staples and com purchase their black people off road shirt, their patches and decals and all that stuff. So, and what I've enjoyed is just the conversations that come up 
with it. Yes. Sometimes they'll, they'll ask if that's part of my ancestry or sometimes they'll ask, how did they get involved or is there a local club? Or, yeah. So really interesting conversations come up from wearing the t-shirt, which has been awesome. So I can just direct them to the Instagram and, yeah. and they can find out more information. It's so important that our industry reflects the same diversity as our country does. Sure. It, Absolutely. And it should. It's a healthy places when that's in balance. Yeah. So it's really exciting to see what you guys are doing. Thank it's, you. I think it's so important. Yeah. And it's a thrill to be a part of it. It's a bigger conversation than sure. us. And just to, you know, have a small role in it and inspire other people to get out and camp um, and connect, you know, because when you're out here in these spaces and you're off-roading, you're bound to come across other off-roaders and maybe you'll have a similar rig and you want to have a discussion about it. And there's sure. a point of connection we think that those kind of connections are going to be the things that build America that we all want to experience. You Absolutely. Know? Right. We're all outside doing really cool stuff together yeah. and can drink a beer together and then, you know, go home and have to say, Hey, I had a great time. You know? I think we all benefit from nature in the same way. Yeah. yeah. Like we're, it's been only a few hundred years that we have really put ourselves in cities. It's not that been a very short period of time that people have been kind of in cities and not out in nature and not mm-hmm. experiencing nature. And I think, I think we need it to be healthy. We so. do. And what's interesting is that in our travels, people that we see that are the most happy, they're the people that live the, the most remote, that don't have access to you know the TVs and the radios and social media, the internet yeah. and social media and all that stuff, because it's, it can be draining. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you can't, you know, ground yourself and channel that energy. All that stuff is draining. You want to see the happiest kids in the world. They will be in a place where they don't have access to that. Stuff. Right. Yeah. They'll be out playing with each other, all different ages, whatever they got to play with. But they're laughing mm-hmm. and running around like they're having a good time. Exactly. Yeah. Dark 30 to dark 30. Yeah, that's, that's how long we play. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, you that's know, right. legit, that was one of the cool. That was probably the coolest thing to me about the gathering last year is that every single morning, the kids, they legit woke up, crack a dawn. And there was an area that we left open and they played soccer there all day. I walked to my tent, like headed to bed and kids were still out playing. And that just truly brought me joy that no doubt. we created the space that one, parents feel comfortable leaving, you know, just letting their kids run around. But two, the kids are like not asking for video games. And right. it, yeah. it was amazing. What an incredible and like unexpected byproduct of that is not only are the parents having a great experience, but the kids are not on their phones or not on their Xboxes. They're out running around, running around like smoked at the end of the day, tired. Their parents are like, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for this reprieve in life. Yeah. And this year, this Uh, year, specifically for the Asheville event, a lot of our friends and just people have reached out to us and like, okay, I'm going to bring my kids. I'm going to try because I saw how much fun the kids had last time. And like one of our friends specifically, is so not an outdoor person, but they mentioned it to their kids and their kids were interested. And they was like, okay, I can't deprive my kid from doing this, even having though I experience. don't like the outdoor sure. right, from having an experience. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. 
you can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. Africa. You guys recently made a trip to Africa. Uh, talk about uh, the vehicle. Now, you guys used a Hilux for that, right? Okay. So then talk about where you landed, where you drove, some of that experience over there. We flew into South Africa, which was really easy for, for us because we went to Africa in what, 20? 2015. 2015. And we had friends there. So made we, new friends. Yeah, there. we made new friends. Our very first you day. You met them for the first time in, in your 20, first trip. Yes, gotcha. in 2016. So awesome. when we went to plan this trip, they was like, oh, you have to come stay with us. So we flew into South Africa, stayed with them for a few days while we, you know, kind of amazing people too. decompressed. And then we picked up our vehicle in Johannesburg. Yeah, we um, rented from Bush Lore. We hired a 2022 Toyota GD6. It was a four-cylinder turbo diesel. The only mods that they had did to it, I think, were the tires. They put some Cooper Discoveries on it, uh, STTs. Really good tire um, that we got a chance to really explore. But it had like 300... It had 300 kilometers on it when we got it. So it was brand Whoa, new. Brand wow. we, we, we broke it in, though. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> Africa will do that. Yeah. Those roads are rough. Oh, man. The roads are brutal in Africa. They are not technically brutal, but they're just the corrugations and everything else. Brutal. Yeah. yeah. They wear on a truck after a period of time. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So you you, leave, one, you yeah. leave Joburg. Once we picked the truck up in Joburg, we drove to Namibia. So we made like one stop before we crossed the border and entered south, kind of near Fish River Canyon. We entered kind of that way. Yeah, so then so we just snaked through the desert and... So beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, up the coast, through the Caprivi. What did you think of the Caprivi Strip? I haven't been there yet. Oh, so. The Caprivi is a completely different experience. You know, Namibia um, is mostly a lot of different deserts um, for the most part. But once you get towards the northern part and you start to make your way west in Namibia, uh, you're going to travel across the Caprivi, which was um, essentially where the Germans were conquering right before World War One. Sure. Pulled out so that they could go back to fight in World War One, And so there's a, about a hundred mile wide kind of strip across the top of Namibia that is pretty much untouched as far as any European influences. Mm. It's a very special place that you get a good opportunity to connect, not just with nature, but the people that mm -hmm. are there and the different ethnic groups that occupy that space or occupy that land now. Um, some of them are never left, but other ones had migrated um, into that area. But to go through it and to see how people live and to see the simplicity of what life really looked like before um, the Europeans had come in to conquer that section um, was pretty amazing. It wasn't until we got to the Caprivi, I was like, oh, this is real Africa. Mm -hmm. You know, you see the huts and the people in their traditional attire. A lot more often there. A lot more often you encounter more people people that don't speak English and have no clue what the words are that are coming out of your mouth. Before we got there, everyone, they just described the Caprivi as different. And we was like, okay, what do you mean different? But the first place we camped, we walked in, I was, it was, it's the closest thing to the Garden of Eden oh, that wow. I could have could ever imagine. There oh, was wow. this big tree with these huge pods on it. And oh, it was amazing. Amazingly dazzling. It was right along a river. Mm -hmm. And um, there were hippopotamus that came out and the, the guy, not a ranger, um, that was the host. Isaac. Uh, I can't recall his name right now, but um, he came by to help us check into the campsite. And uh, like we said, we were right alongside of the river. Kalicious. Uh, Kalicious says to us, you should expect the hippo. Uh, it is not uncommon for them to come through the camp at night. If they do, 
remember, you are a guest in their home. Good don't advice. pick a fight. Don't <laughs> argue with it. Don't poke it. Just don't stand up. Don't, don't, right. talk don't, talk. don't talk. Don't talk politics. Yeah, don't, don't. talk politics at all. <laughs> um, it will probably pass by and continue on. You know, as you can imagine, as he's walking off, we had a ton more questions. So that's it? That's he just going <laughs> to say, hippos going to walk by and be good. Right. <laughs> just going to leave it at that. So at that moment, we knew that we were really deep into the bosom of Africa. Yeah, sure. Um, that was tied to what our imaginations I um, had suggested that it would be. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the cradle of humankind. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just an ancient place yeah. and it feels like it's the most at home I've ever felt in my life. And it's not that I don't love Prescott and I love like where I'm from and things like that, but cause I do. Uh, but when you're in Africa, you feel like it's like, I'm where humans came from. Yeah, exactly. And you are. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah, we met the Damara, um, some of the earliest people on the planet, their descendants. And that was a living museum. And that was in Namibia as well. The Himba. We met yeah, the, incredible the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, incredible, incredible people. Incredible. But yeah, just the culture. The culture was amazing. Yeah. And it was the transition was when we got into the Cabrivi. You know, even the customs that, that we learned, Kalisha's the same guy. Dakota asks, so if introducing myself, if I approach a person, how should I introduce myself? He's like, oh, you need to bow, clap three times. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, it was it's, it's, yeah. And that was some of the cultural things. Mm-hmm. I love it. Because it I love was it. like, in understanding where we were in the different ethnic groups that were there, everywhere you go, we think that you should try to learn a little bit of the language, at least how to say hello with sure. a few other catchphrases or whatever. It goes a long way with showing a good sentiment to the people of that country. Yeah, yeah some so, respect. Yeah, some just some respect. I don't think anybody requires you to speak the whole language there, right? <laughs> sure. So um, we were trying to understand where we were and who were the people there. He was like, well, these are the different groups that are here. You're very close to Angola, which is across the river, so to speak. It's not uncommon to see people migrate from there and live here. But this was what was so interesting. He started the conversation with, if you wanted to say hello, it's Muzahili Twani. We were like, okay, what? Muzahili Chani? And he took the time to correct us until we got it right. And he was like, but... If there is um, someone else around, they're older than you, then you need to show, show a shine of respect and you hold your hand on your uh, okay. one hand this way. And um, it's Muzihili Twani and you can bow. OK. Now, if right, they're like chief or along those lines, then it can get more significance. Whereas three claps and Muzihili Twani to a bigger group. So it was a whole lot of coaching that took place just that first night. In addition to him telling us about the hippo. <laughs> now, so when we Did left. Did you do that to the hippo? No. <laughs> right. Fortunately, we didn't see the hippo. We just heard it. Right. <laughs> they make some noise. They do. They make the, they their do. feet are coming out of the river. Oh, you know, man. you know, they're coming. So we, we ended up having some really good cultural experiences and some great exchanges along the way. Um, but they were just very special when we were along the Caprivi. Just uh, very special. That's, a, that's amazing. You guys continued into Botswana and then back yeah, to so South we, Africa? We crossed over to Botswana and we stopped in Zambia because it was like, we can't be this close to Victoria falls and not see it sure so we crossed over to zambia for a few days and experienced that whole water system which is amazing to understand that all the rivers come together and the falls gives power to like four countries but after that we went in we went back into Botswana and went through 
Northern Chobe, down into Southern Chobe, into Morami, the Okavanga. Yeah, the Okavanga. Yeah. We flew out. So for that, we flew Mound. Mound. Because right? <laughs> we were saying, we were saying Mound. Mound. And there was like, yeah. no, it's Mound. Like, where is it? What is this Mound? <laughs> what, what, what are you all talking about? What are you talking about? about? <laughs> You're not from around here. <laughs> that is an outpost, isn't it? Well, yeah, Mound is nice. Yeah, yeah it's in the middle really of nice. nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's cool. It's become a decent sized city. No doubt. And yeah. what we realized through our travel. If you ever go into Botswana, make sure you have enough money. If you don't, you're going to have to go see Miss K in my own so that you can pay all your park fees. Yeah, so, I got yeah. you. So for a mile, um, we flew deeper into the um, Okavanga and we stayed at this campsite. I think it was called Satari. I mean, it was a very remote location. A river boat had to come out to get us. Um, we spent about, what, three or four days up in there and really had a strong connection with the heart of the Ogunbanga and um, took a helicopter ride. So we got to see a lot so of the good. wildlife. Oh man, it was amazing, so amazing good. space to be in, amazing place to experience. And that was when I think I felt like I was touching the hand of God. Yeah, You, know, you can look out and see it in the water, the wildlife that is there. It's just an amazing place. Yeah. It's truly special spot on the planet. Yeah. Talking about that kind of thing, what, what you guys, what you guys have done is truly special. And I, I just think it's such an honor for us to have you on the podcast. And, it's an honor to be here and to talk about uh, these really important organizations that you guys have started and these really important events that you guys are growing in the country. Can you help people know how to find out more about, about you guys as individuals and your different organizations? How do people find out more information about what you're doing? We're Staples and Tents. Our last name is Staples and we sleep in tents. And I-N-T-E-N-T-S. Yes. So pretty much any social media platform. Our website is staplesandtents.com. We have YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. And then you can also go to Black People Off-Road on Instagram and join that community and be an active part. Make sure you tag Black People Off-Road because Nakota is always looking for different people of color and allies to feature. To feature. Yeah, sure. Yeah, just to make sure that we put the community out there and give some visibility. And then for anyone who wants to support, um, we also have Patreon, which we give our Patreons behind the scenes content and all the inside information. Yeah, right. sure. They get a whole lot of ugly stuff. <laughs> and then to find out more on the gathering events, what's the Instagram and the website on that? All the gathering information is embedded in the Staples Intense website. In the menu, Perfect. there's a drop down for the gathering with information for the Colorado event as well as the Asheville event. And you can see a recap of last year's events, which were just amazing. And the Instagram for the gathering is the gathering by SI. One of the things that we love to ask on the podcast is if someone is new coming into overland travel and they, they want to do like you guys have done and make that change in their life, stand at the edge of the cliff and choose to jump off. What advice would you give them? What would you tell them if you were standing there with them and they want to make that decision to, to take, go full time? Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> Let me be that voice in your mind. Do it. <laughs> you know, um, but seriously, it is one of those where you, at a point, I think it is a little bit of a leap of faith. Um, you're not going to have all of the things. You're not going to have 
the perfect conditions for mm-hmm. you know you should expect a dark and stormy night kind of thing do lean into it because it's something that's calling you right there that you need to answer and the only way to really understand it is to go and explore it you know and i think at the heart of any overlander is the desire to explore mm-hmm. there's a desire to understand what's around that corner what's over that mountain it's worth going to see because you because you can really say yes to the world and become something else along this journey yeah and it's it's so important what you're saying is it's taking that movement yourself it's not has nothing to do with the truck nothing to do with the equipment uh you can have that or not i mean people have gone around the world with nothing so right and i think the the reality is we could have went we could have transitioned to full-time overlanding last year but we had an idea of what the correct setup was we cr- we traveled cross country and into columbia in a ground tent we didn't need the rooftop tent we didn't need the winch we need, didn't need the bumper we didn't need the rear bumper we didn't need all these things we should have just went yeah but a lot of times you get caught up into creating the perfect bill and the perfect vehicle saving the perfect perfect amount of money and there's no perfect amount of money because eventually it's going to run out. Mm -hmm. There's no perfect bill because everything has disadvantages. It's like, if it's something that you want to do, you just have to do it. It's scary. It's scary for everyone. Um, It's still scary now. Of course. It's still scary now, but I mean, it was scary going to work every day and hating it. (laughs) So So it's like, why am I doing this? (laughs) That's what you should be terrorized of is doing something that you don't love. Yeah. That's what you should be terrorized about. Yeah, because every day you're giving that up. Exactly. Beat that piece of you up every single day. Well, you two are amazing. It's been so fun to have you here in Prescott. I'm so excited to see both of you again in Colorado in uh, about a month from now, a little bit less than a month. It's like three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to come up quickly. So we thank you both for being on the podcast and we thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You're welcome.